Good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat this morning. <clears throat> I was having a conversation with several people last week. Uh, you, you may notice when you come in in the morning that we have colors for the seasons on the church calendar. And so we had this conversation about Epiphany. It is Epiphany, by the way, even though it feels like spring outside. It's not Easter yet. Okay. It's still Epiphany. And uh, we had this conversation about what color is it going to be, what color is Epiphany going to be? And I said, well, I think it's white. It is absolutely not green. Green's for ordinary time. I guarantee it's not green. I think it's white, not green. White. It's green. Now, <laughs> say, why are you wearing white today? Because you were wrong? No, no, no. On, on, on holy days like today, where we're going to consider the baptism of Jesus, we wear white. It's a representation of the glory of the Lord, the shining of the light going forth in real, in, in things you can feel and touch and see and hear. But next week it turns to green. The reason I was so adamant that it wasn't green, Lillian, who probably knew it was green. She wasn't in the conversation. She was. She probably thought it was green. The reason I was so adamant is because green is for ordinary time. I was just like, no, it's not green. That's ordinary time. I've been thinking about this conversation this week. Why green? Well, last week we talked about something. We talked about radical, ordinary hospitality. Epiphany is, yes, it, it, it's this season that a lot of things come together. Some people call it like a second Christmas, God being revealed to the nations. I like to think of about it as a second ordinary time. Jesus has come. Emmanuel is with, God is with us. That changes the way we live from day to day. And in very, very simple terms, it makes things that seem radical, very normal, very ordinary in the way that we live. So next week, it will be green. We put it on the screens today. It's green. I promise. It's green. Shelly, if it's not green, it's green. <laughs> okay? And so today is the first Sunday of Epiphany. And it is appointed on the church calendar for us to consider the baptism of Jesus. And this year we're doing that through the book of Matthew. And Matthew's account of the story, Jesus' baptism is one of radical hospitality. I'm not making it up. I'll prove it. It really is. Let me set the story for you. John the Baptist, who Matthew spends uh, more time describing than this baptism, by the way. Matthew spends a lot of time on John the Baptist and not that much time on the baptism, incidentally. Has been preaching for the kingdom of God. And the truth of Jesus. And he's been doing that for a while. He's the forerunner. He's been talking about it in no uncertain terms. He's actually given up his life. He's laid it down. He's not concerned about his personal appearance or his per he, total generosity. He's given everything away. He's living. He's, he's taking really a vow of poverty. He's eating what comes to him. Sometimes that's locusts, right? And he's out there and he's just, he's, he's, he's talking about the coming Messiah. That the baby that was born in Bethlehem and visited by the Magi and was a refugee to Egypt and has returned to Nazareth, this is the Messiah. And people start to believe. And he's preaching this mainly to Jewish people. The Messiah, the Messiah that was promised by the prophets in the history of Israel is here. And he's here in the form of Jesus Christ, the baby from Bethlehem. The man that lives in Nazareth. And people begin to believe. And they come to John. 
to be baptized in the waters of repentance. It, just above our reading today, here's what John says. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus shows up to be baptized, and there's this really interesting conversation. John says, huh? That's, that's the a literal translation, huh? Whoa, whoa, whoa. He just got through saying, I'm not worthy to tie your shoes, and you want me to baptize you. John asks a question. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not worthy to tie your shoes. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You want me to baptize you? You want me to baptize you? And Jesus answers. Let it be so for now, for thus is, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, in this conversation and in this account, we see three things about radical hospitality. For the actions of Jesus' baptism and in this conversation, we see that we must cultivate humility, identify with the struggles of others, and practice selfless obedience to God. I'm going to say those three things again. We're going to go through them really quickly. We must cultivate humility, identify with the struggles of others, and practice selfless obedience to God. This is what Jesus does in his baptism. This is what he does. First, we must cultivate humility. Jesus, I want you to know something. Jesus knows who he is. He knows who he is. He, it, it, you probably don't know this, but if you ever pick up a popular theology book and someone starts to say that Jesus may not have been conscious that he was actually the Messiah, you should put that book away. It's, not, it, it's a thoughtful argument. It's just wrong, okay? I mean, it's not heresy. <laughs> you can read the book. It's fine. It's thoughtful. Uh, some really good people that I love say it. They're just wrong. It's all right. They're wrong, and I'm right. I don't know. I, <laughs> and I love some of these men. They're just wrong. We see from Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't say to John, well, I'm not sure who I am, but you should baptize me. <laughs> he says to John, of course you shouldn't baptize me. But let's just do it for now, and I'll tell you why. Jesus knows who he is. He's the Messiah. He gets it. He absolutely gets it. And John knows who he is. He's got zero, zero, zero reason to baptize Jesus. And John, can I just say something? John was a pretty big deal. He had disciples already. He had followers. He's in the desert up front. He's preaching the kingdom. People are repenting before, they, before Jesus even starts his ministry. John's got this huge following. But he knows who he is. He knows that he's not the Messiah. He knows that he's not worthy to tie the Messiah's shoes. <laughs> he gets it. They get they know who they are. And Jesus is not making himself equal with John, and John is not making himself equal with Jesus, nor, though, I want to say what neither of them are doing, and this is really critical. Neither of them, not Jesus, not John, is stubbornly and selfishly grasping at his rights and status. Do you see that in the story? Doesn't it feel counter-human? Now, come on. Let's just do a little self-assessment this morning before God. Here's the cross. Let's be honest with ourselves. 
I'll be honest with myself, you be honest with yourself. And let's be honest together as a family. We are tempted to defend ourselves, demand our rights, and hold on to our own status that we've created. Come on. Let's just be honest. Can we be honest? I mean, at the very least, humility starts with honesty. They're both honest about who they are, and they immediately lay that down, including Yeah, you're right, John. I am the Messiah. You're not, you really, you really shouldn't be tying my sandals. But let's do it for now. Let me lay it down. Let me practice. For us to be a people of radical hospitality, we need to be humble like Jesus and John. I'm going to spend more time on humility than the other two. So if you're thinking this is starting to get long, you're right. We need to grow in this, Church of the Apostles. All churches do. I need to. You need to. We need to. We need to grow in humility if we are going to practice radical hospitality. And so for us to be a people of radical hospitality, we need to take on Jesus and John. We need to be like them. We need to put them on and say, you know what? So much for who gets credit. We don't care. Humanly, we don't care. God gets the glory for this. Who's got the bigger following? Well, when this all starts, it's actually John. We don't care. I happily give that up. I'm not going to defend myself or my rights. I'll be humble. And to do that, first of all, we need to learn from Jesus and John. We need to be humble enough to know who we are and to know who Jesus is. And that probably starts with Jesus. I'm really not worthy to tie your sandals. <laughs> but I know who you are. And I know who I am. We must, we must lay down our rights and our status and our plans and our anxiety and our concern over who gets the credit. We've got to lay it down. Jesus is about the glory of God. He is never about getting his own credit. He's not. He's the author of humility in a very real sense. The perfect picture of the humble Christ. When you say this to people, they look at you they have two heads. What king is humble? There's some. But Jesus is humble. He's a servant. He continually, as Paul puts it, empties himself of his status and rights, even though he knows he is equal with God. So we have to be humble enough to know who we are and who Jesus is, and we have to lay down our rights and our status and our plans and our anxiety and our concern over who gets the credit. And we must, and here's the big takeaway that you might go, huh? We must, must is the word, depend on others. Ugh. And all God's people said, yeah, but others let me down. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. But there's no end around it. Let me just tell you how this works. Jesus depends on John to begin his ministry. Did you see this? The most radical part of this hospitality, the most radical part of this story is Jesus putting himself in John's hands as John says, I baptize you. I mean, radically humble. 
from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry at moment one. He says this, it is fitting, which means it's good and right, John. Here's, here's the radical. Circle it in your Bible. For us. <laughs> I don't think you're, it's not striking you as radical enough. Let me say it again. <laughs> Jesus, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who fully knows who he is, looks at John the Baptist, who is not worthy to tie his sandals, and says, you and I, John, we, us, we're going to do this now because it's up to us to uphold all righteousness. <laughs> Oof. From the beginning, it's family. The plan of the redemption through radical hospitality always and has always included needing other people. From the moment Jesus launches his life and ministry, he demonstrates that the plan was always to form a kingdom family to join the work of rescue and redemption together from day one. We quoted Dr. Butterfield last week. I'll just remind you, she says the first way to be radically hospitable is we must live, live under the authority of God and church if we are able, immediately, if, if we are able, if we are to call others to live differently, we must be active, tithing members of a Bible-believing church under the covenant of a church membership and willing to receive instruction and rebuke if needed. We must be teachable. We have no business calling our neighbors to live differently if we don't. We do this together. If you're lonely and long for a place to belong, Jesus has always had the offer for you. If you are suffering under the weight of sin and in need of a kind place to crash. If you are in desperate need of brothers and sisters, imperfect as we are, Jesus from the beginning has been forming a family of others to humbly walk together in radical hospitality. Welcome home. There's the offer. That's the welcome. Here's the warning. If you're trying to do this alone, if you're building an image for yourself in an attempt to make yourself look good to others, if you're agreeing with an evil, independent spirit that is lying to you, that you're okay and everyone else needs fixing, today is the day that you can repent and be humble like Jesus and enter into a family that knows who he is and knows who you are. And we'll help you. If you'd like, I'm just going to say it one more time because I am sure there are people that still need this. If you have tried to be humble without others and you are just not able, may I welcome you to come on Wednesday night. Now you got to get some stuff done first, but we will begin to pray on Wednesday together, a group of us. We have a few spots left for living waters. This is a place where we can say, we're, we get it. This is not easy and we need help, Jesus. We need help from you, we need help from the Spirit, and from our friends. And so there will be a faithful group of us who would be happy to walk with you toward the cross. If you have broken relationships trailing behind your life, Jesus has answers at the cross. 
if you're just unable to feel the love of God the Father, if the words in this story, you're my beloved son, feel foreign to you, there's healing at the cross. You can experience him daily as your dad, as your father, as your Abba. So I know there are some people who should join us who have just don't want to. Can I tell you something? I've never wanted to do living waters, ever. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I stand up there. I tell myself, I tell things to that living waters group that these people, I don't want to say again. Not only things that I have struggled with and been free from, but things I am struggling from. I don't know of anybody who's ever said, let's go talk about our stuff. <laughs> no one ever dances into living waters. We started about 710 because people are still in the parking lot. Like, I'm just going to drive around until... <laughs> Maybe they let me off the hook. Some of that is fueled by an evil, independent spirit. I just want to be honest with you. We come by it honestly. We're nutmeggers. We're New Englanders. We are in the hotbed and cradle of independence. I get it. We got like one day. We need to know tomorrow. More of you should come. We have room for men and women. Men. This is not a message for women. It's a message for human beings. We need to be safe and free and whole and healthy men that are humble like Jesus and humble like John. You should come. I'm not even done talking, but there you go. That's radical <laughs> hospitality. That, so number one, we have to cultivate humility and we have to Number two, radical hospitality identifies with the struggles of others. I'll just quote Dr. Butterfield again. Second, we must work hard to know who our neighbors are and how they struggle. We want to show respect and a helping hand. Radically ordinary hospitality practiced by biblical Christians views struggling people as image bearers of a holy God, needing faith in Christ alone, belief in Jesus, the rescuer of his people, repentance of sin, and covenant family within the church. We need to identify with the struggles of others. Through the incarnation, we know that Jesus is fully God and fully human. He's both fully things. Fully God, fully human. And by stepping into the waters of baptism, he is identifying with his fellow humans. Jesus is showing that he knows our need for a Savior. Jesus does not need repentance. He hasn't sinned. Yet the waters he's stepping into are identified in this chapter as the waters of repentance. He, doesn't, he hasn't sinned. He doesn't need repentance. John says, by the way, John tells us that. You don't need to be baptized. I mean, John just says, why are you getting baptized? Why am I doing it? That's not why he does it. Jesus is showing that he knows our need for a Savior, even though he is sinless. He is showing us that he understands the weight that we carry of sin and that he is joining us in our struggle of the human life. And Jesus, by the way, is about to face many struggles of his own, including immediately after this baptism. He goes in the desert and is tempted. Author and theologian Leon Morris writes, Jesus might well have been up there in front standing with John and calling on sinners to repent. Instead, he was down there with the sinners, affirming his solidarity with them making himself one with them in the process of the salvation that he would in due course accomplish. By stepping into the waters of baptism, Jesus is saying to humanity, to you and to me, I see you and I am with you. 
I don't need to repent. But I'm going to identify with your struggle and your need to repent. And I'm going to get in the water. The wind kicked up when I said that. There's someone out there with a fan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> By stepping into the waters of baptism, Jesus is saying to humanity, to you and me, I see you and I'm with you. Now, we had this great time yesterday, for those of you who were there. It was a great time learning and praying and thinking and worshiping with other people. We need others, by the way. So we were talking about human trafficking. I was, I was struck again with the idea that if we try to do this alone, we are going to be in a lot of trouble. There are a lot of great people that want to help with us and lock arms with us, churches, people, people. Listen, yesterday, people in government and the church sat together and listened to a testimony by a woman who said, I am free because of Jesus. So we need each other, must include each other. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Tears. By the way, I'm sitting next to someone from uh, Department of Child and Family, bawling as this woman is talking. And she said, I was lost. I was incarcerated. I was on drugs. I was in jail. And somebody sat down next to me and said, would you like to read the Bible? And I said, no. And then she kept asking me, and I finally had to admit, I can't read. I'll teach you how to read, and we'll read the Bible. And she said, I'm standing here today because of Jesus. We need each other. But I want to tell you something, that identifying with the struggles of others, it does include empathy. We do want to identify in that way. I'm sorry for your plight. But if it stops there, wah, wah. I mean, Jesus getting in the water is physical. We're Anglicans. We love this. No, we are, we are matter people. Matters, matter matters to us. This is not just, oh, look, this is fun. He baptized. No. He got in the mud of the Jordan. He got active. He got real. He ate with sinners and with prostitutes. He called out thieves. He even invited the superior religious people to reconsider their ways. He got into it. So yesterday we went and we had empathy and we listened and it was great. And I'm glad so many of you are there. Thank you. Thank you. When I said, please, I need you to come. You came. Thank you. And in two weeks, on the 25th, now it is time for us to get in the mud. We're going to come here at 1230 in this room with some of our friends from that and other places are going to come. And we're going to be trained on how to do this so we don't just walk out there and, you know, be stupid. So we're going to go. We're going to be trained how to do this because I just I know I would just go like, here's a picture, put it up, you know, and just we're going to be trained. And we're going to go in groups, two or three, like the disciples did. And we're going to go to areas businesses and we're just going to say, you know, it's the law that you put this poster up in your business alerting people to the dangers of human trafficking, the signs of human trafficking, and the solution to human trafficking. Would you put it up? Can we put it up for you? That's what we're going to do. And then we're going to come back together at about 2.30. I mean, that'll probably take an hour. There's going to be a lot of us. We're going to come back together at 2.30 and we're going to share our stories. What did you feel? I was scared. Okay. What did you feel? I felt good. I felt like we were doing something good. We're going to share it, share our stories. What was God doing? It's a way that we get in the mud. Empathy is good. We should have it. We should care about others. We should join them in their plight. We should, we should, we should say, I'm sorry. We understand the weight you're under. And we should help them physically. That's how we identify with others. To be a people of radical hospitality, 
We must be humble like John and Jesus, and we must identify physically with the struggle of others. And lastly, and we'll close quickly, to be a people of radical hospitality, we must practice selfless obedience to God. Have to, you, you, listen, this phrase where Jesus says to John, John says, why am I baptizing you? And Jesus answers something like, yep, you're right, John. I don't need to be baptized, and I don't need you to baptize me for sure. But let's do this now because it is good and right that we fulfill all righteousness. Now, we're going to be in Matthew for this year. It's a new lectionary year, and the gospel is Matthew. We're going to do a lot of work in Matthew this year. And you're going to see these words, fulfill and righteousness, a ton. Very simply, we'll talk about it more in depth, but very simply put, fulfill simply means Jesus, this Messiah, he is the one promised by the prophets and history. He is the one. Everything that you were promised is standing in front of you in Jesus Christ. That's fulfill. That's all it means. He's here to do what God promised. It's fulfilled. Here he is. All righteousness, that all is actually a tuck-in. It's not found a lot in Matthew, but righteousness is a, it is obedience on a grand scale. It's deeper than that, but for today, we're going to stop there. It is obedience on a grand scale. It is Jesus saying with John, us together, we are going to obey because it fulfills all righteousness. We are going to show that we are submitted to God Almighty. We're going to lay down our own plans, and we're going to get in the water. There's a beautiful end to Jesus' baptism that we often concentrate on when we talk about his baptism. Jesus comes up out of the water, and I mean, he it really, Matthew's trying to give, all the gospel writers actually say, as Jesus came out of the water, it's this interesting phrase. Like, we get this picture that as he cracked the water, a dove representing the Holy Spirit comes down, and a voice opens up from heaven and says, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, another great translation of that, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, and all my love resides. I love the line in the song we sang, heart of my own heart. It is almost like God is saying, this is my beloved son, heart of my own heart. It's a beautiful, affirming moment that in humility and in identifying with others and in obedience, God saw Jesus. And he pours power in the form of the Holy Spirit for Jesus to continue being radically hospitable and radically humble and radically identifying with others and radically obedient. And then he says, this is my son in whom all my love resides, in whom I am pleased, the heart of my heart. I will guarantee you today that as we join Jesus in his radical hospitality by cultivating humility and identifying with the struggles with others and being selflessly obedient, we too will experience the same power of the Holy Spirit that keeps that going and the idea that God loves us as his sons and daughters. We'll feel affirmed in who we are. Our identity will be restored. Our meaning and purpose will become real. Our home, our family will be easier to live with. Guarantee it.
Guarantee it. Last week, we began to talk about radical hospitality, and we looked at the story of the Magi, and four themes about hospitality emerged, and really fast. Radical hospitality requires uncomfortable encounters with strangers. Radical hospitality is fueled by sacrificial generosity. Radical hospitality is often fraught with peril and is always met with God's protection and provision. And radical hospitality defends the vulnerable and stands for the outcast. I am asking that in this season of Epiphany, through things like Living Waters and coming to the thing and the, the canvassing activity in two weeks and triads, which Jan's going to talk about in a minute, and the other things that we have doing, I am asking that we all together assess our radical hospitality against those four criteria. Are we too comfortable, God? How are you asking me to be more, become more uncomfortable? That's a dangerous question. you asking me to become more uncomfortable? Man, I got to tell you, I don't know about you. I'm sure this isn't true of you. I like being comfortable. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. I know it doesn't look like it because I'm wearing a robe, but I really do like to be comfortable. How are you asking me to be uncomfortable, God? Am I holding on to my money for a rainy day, relying on myself to meet my own needs? How are you inviting me to practice sacrificial generosity in 2020? What's something new you want to do? I say that everybody's head goes down. I'll just look out here. How are you asking me to practice <laughs> radical generosity in 2020? What more do I want to do? What, what am I holding on to for myself? Am I holding back on something because I'm afraid, God? How are you asking me to trust your provision and protection afresh and anew this year? Am I holding back? I don't want to come to Living Waters. I don't want to do triads. I certainly don't want to walk around in businesses and ask them to stop slavery. Asking me to step into all those things or some of those things or a couple of those things? Am I really defending the vulnerable and standing for the outcast or am I just talking a big game? We are good at talking a big game, by the way, humans. So you're part of that. We're right, we're good at talking a big game. But am I really doing it? Where are you asking? Actually, a better question is God, where are you at work? defending the vulnerable and standing for the outcast and asking me to join you? That's the question. I want us to assess an epiphany. But let's start now. If you bow your head and close your eyes, I'll watch the clock. Our simple prayer to close, God, is help us. Help us. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen.